0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly podcast with me, your host Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of the Crown on the application of Haworth and Commissioners for HMRC. The citation for this case is 2021 UKSC 25. And the case that we're looking at this week concerns tax law, but don't let that put you off because it is to do with a scenario that is a little bit like plea bargaining or that bit at the end of a game show where the contestant has to decide if they want to gamble or not. The relevant law is contained in part four of the Finance Act 2014, and deals with the situation where a taxpayer claims a certain tax advantage based on a specific interpretation of the law, but HMRC disagrees with that because a court or tribunal has already handed down a decision that shows the taxpayer's interpretation is wrong. In those circumstances, HMRC issues something called a follower notice to the taxpayer, and that person then has to decide whether to accept HMRC's interpretation of the law, or to continue with their challenge based on their own interpretation. However, there is a bit of a risk associated with that latter option, because if the taxpayer does continue with their challenge but loses, then they may have to pay a substantial penalty on top of any tax that is due. In these proceedings we are going to be talking about a Mr Howarth and his tax return for the financial year 2000-2001. He claims to have avoided tax on a capital gain which arose from disposing of shares via a trust of which he was the settler. As with any loopholes this relied on tricksy interpretation of the law from the Taxation of Chargeable Gains Act 1992 and the UK Mauritius Double Taxation Convention. So, that the place of effective management of the trust at the time the shares were disposed of was Mauritius and not the UK. Many years later, HMRC launched an inquiry into Howard's tax return and issued him with a follower notice. In that notice, HMRC argued that Howard's interpretation of the law was incorrect and that his circumstances were materially the same as in the Court of Appeal case of Smallwood and Revenue and Customs Commissioners from 2010. As a result, the double taxation convention should be interpreted so that the place of effective management of the Trust at the time of the share disposal was the UK instead of Mauritius, and Howarth was therefore liable for paying tax. Howarth then brought a case for judicial review in respect of the follower notice, and although that application was dismissed by the High Court, his appeal was allowed by the Court of Appeal, on the basis that HMRC had not satisfied the conditions required to give notice. Those conditions are the first issue for the Supreme Court to decide, and are contained in section 205, subsection 3, paragraph B of the Finance Act 2014. Under that provision, HMRC must have formed the opinion that, quote, the principles laid down or reasoning given in Smallwood would, if applied to Mr. Howarth's arrangements, deny the asserted advantage, end quote. The second issue for the justices was whether HMRC misdirected themselves in their analysis of Smallwood, and if that made a difference to HMRC's decision to issue the follower notice. Beyond that, Howarth also raised two issues of his own in this case. Firstly, whether the factual findings are a part of the ruling for the purposes of section 205, subsection 3, paragraph B. And secondly, whether the follower notice is invalidated by section 206 of the Finance Act 2014 because HMRC failed to adequately explain in the notice its reasons for concluding that Smallwood applied in Howarth's circumstances. The justices at the Supreme Court dealt with each of these issues in turn, and as a reminder that first question was whether HMRC were able to form the opinion that the principles laid down or reasoning given in Smallwood would, if applied to Mr Howard's arrangements, deny the asserted advantage. It was held that they could not have formed such an opinion because of the meaning of the word would in that sentence. In this particular context, the court has to be wary of the fact that although the follower notice does still allow the taxpayer to issue a challenge, doing so means risking having to pay a substantial penalty, and that could be seen as an impediment to the right of access to the courts. To put it another way, section 205.3b of the Finance Act 2014 has to be interpreted restrictively in order to minimise the interference with access to justice. Using the word would implies that there is essentially no scope for a reasonable person to disagree that the previous case that is cited operates against the taxpayer and in favour of HMRC. If Parliament had wanted to give HMRC a broader scope, then they could have used words like might instead. Therefore, as HMRC only opined that it was likely that Smallwood applied in relation to Mr Howarth, that is not sufficient and HMRC lost on this point. The second question was whether HMRC misdirected themselves with respect to the decision in Smallwood, and again the court sided with Howarth. HMRC looked at the judgement in Smallwood and concluded that if seven indicators highlighted by Lord Justice Hughes in that case were present, then it would automatically mean that the place of effective management of the trust would be the UK. However, this was too broad a conclusion to draw because Lord Justice Hughes did not consider those seven indicators to be necessary and sufficient conditions in and of themselves. As such, the Court of Appeal was right to quash the follower notice, despite the argument from HMRC that they would have decided to issue the notice even if they had fully understood the decision in Smallwood and not overstated its conclusions. That's all fine, but Mr Howarth also raised another couple of points for the Supreme Court to deal with. The first of these was whether the factual findings are indeed a part of the ruling. I think that the point Howarth was trying to raise here is that the ratio of a given decision is to do with the law itself rather than the facts of the case, but that is not completely true. As the justice has pointed out, the findings of fact do have a relevant import to the precedent that is created. Finally, it was asked whether the follower notice is invalidated by Section two hundred and six of the Finance Act twenty fourteen because HMRC failed to adequately explain in the notice its reasons for concluding that Smallwood applied in Howard's circumstances. Here the justices pointed out that although the notice did not comply with Section two hundred and six for this reason, that is not enough to automatically invalidate a follower notice and here the defects are not fatal to the notice overall. As I said at the start of this episode, this case is very reminiscent of plea bargaining in a criminal context, and that carries with it both advantages and disadvantages. On the one hand, plea bargains can speed up the administration of justice and save money, time and resources. On the other hand, they place individuals in an unenviable position. With the whole force of the state bearing down on them, it entices a guilty plea, while threatening a greater punishment for taking the case to court. Of course, taking the case to court is more than just one option, it is the right of the citizen, and the courts have to be wary of the government placing restrictions on that right. I think that is why the restrictive interpretation of section 205, subsection 3, paragraph b, is to be preferred. It doesn't close off the plea bargaining aspect of follower notices, but it represents a clear message to HMRC that they cannot just issue such notices on a wish and a prayer and hope that the taxpayer faults. Part of being the public authority in this context means understanding the power that you wield and not using it to undermine the rights of citizens. Access to the courts and legal remedies is not something that should be closed off via the back door. Well thank you very much for tuning into this podcast and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. Quick reminder before I go that if you would like to support the podcast and help to keep it ad-free, then you can subscribe to my newsletter and earn yourself some nice perks, including more content from me each week and a free ebook on how to answer essay questions on a law degree. If that sounds like something you're interested in, then check out the link in the description to the podcast episode. Anyway, I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now... Bye.